Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going today? Doing all right, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. And today we are joined by a Prep to Pro returner. That is Ross Homan of the Steppians. Ross, how's it going today? Doing well. How are you guys? There is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at BetOnline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. And today, um, we are going to be talking about the G League and the G League team following the news uh, of Jonathan Kaminga, top prospect in 2021, officially reclassing to the 2020 high school class and deciding to go to the G League um, instead of, you know, uh, different um, suitors like Texas Tech. Uh, that, that was the main one. So, yeah, we're going to talk about the G League team, about the guys on that team, uh, about their fit, all things that. So when are we going to do it? Yeah, it was kind of the worst kept secret in uh, in recruiting, but it's it's official now. And like we we alluded to or not even alluded to just outright said on um i forget which episode it was but uh i think it was the start of our most recent mailbag part one uh that this g league team is now it's a weird roster uh and i don't think there's anyone better to uh to come talk about it than than ross so uh ross let's get into some brief um breakdowns of uh of each of these guys on the g league select team um so uh do you want to start with the um, high-profile guys or or get the lower-profile guys out of the way first? Uh, yeah, we can just start with Kaminga right away if you guys want to. Yeah, cool. Sure. Uh, yeah, give a give a brief breakdown for the listeners of of uh, of Kaminga's game if you don't mind. Yeah, so Kaminga is uh, like when somebody brings up prototypical wing size. Um, that's Kaminga. He's like six seven ish. Uh, plus four, plus five wingspan, just really, really wide frame. Um, he's going to be, like, one of the stronger wings in the league during his uh, prime. Um, and he really knows how to use it well. Um, he doesn't have, like, a 
fantastic handle, but it's controlled enough where he can get to his spots. And that coupled with the strength really helps. Um, really good finisher. I know that you guys, we we briefly talked about it um, in the 2021 pod we did a couple months ago. Um, but when he is locked in defensively, he can be really, really good on ball. Um, he gave Cade some trouble in their EYBL matchup last summer. Um, he, he's just, you know, he has really, really great tools. Uh, but the, the shot is kind of, the shot and the decision-making are kind of the question marks with him. I actually think he's a decent decision maker. He'll take some um, tough shots, but like most star level prospects at that age do. Um, so I'm not really too worried about that, but the touch and the consistency on the shooting is kind of where I have some questions. Um, he's never really been a great free throw shooter at this stage. He's kind of more of a shot maker rather than a pure shooter. Like he'll make some really, really tough shots for a 17 year old. Um, but it'll also miss pretty badly on some easy ones. Um, so it kind of just uh, – his ceiling really just a lot depends on where the shot kind of levels out at this point to me. Yeah, I know we've we've talked about this before in the past, but do you view him long-term as more of like a high-efficiency shooter or just a tough shot maker who, you know, is kind of streaky? I think probably the tough shot maker that's kind of streaky, but – efficiency wise he could still be pretty good because I do expect him to be a really exceptional finisher yeah I mean the high points are ridiculous like in that that EYBL game you mentioned against Cade where on the few possessions that he was locked in defensively gave gave Cade trouble and then uh, dropped the 40 ball on on Texas Titans with like ridiculous efficiency yeah and like Ross sorry like Ross like, like Ross kind of alluded to, I mean, I, I think his decision-making and his passing is a little better than gets credit for. I mean, especially in, in EYBL when he played with better talent than in high school. I think you saw um, some ability to to pass, especially off of his gravity. You know, simple laydowns, uh, some pick-and-roll stuff, but not but not much. Simple skips. And I think th- that's, that's going to be important as well for his ceiling. Because, I mean, as a guy who, like I said, like incredibly overwhelming physical athlete, he's going to be an incredible finisher has some real shot making upside and he's going to command a lot of defensive attention. So if he can make simple reads off of his gravity, that would be really big for him in his ceiling. Also too, like it should be noted that um, last summer he did, like he played with RJ Davis, who's an extremely good on ball scorer. Um, so he, it's not like he's like, he he's showing willingness to like share the spotlight, so to speak. And like, you know, be a second option during stretches of games. So that's um, a pretty big deal for somebody at that age with that talent. I feel like that's a kind of natural transition now into, you know, his teammate with this G League League select team, Jalen Green. Who do you view between the two of them as the the true alpha there? Or or even just, I mean, who do you view as a a superior prospect? I think it's Kaminga... I don't want to say easily because I do think they're at least partially close, but I, I'm pretty comfortable saying Kaminga at this point. Um, just the both have great physical tools, but um, just like the strength that Kaminga adds to and the size. And then I honestly think too, he's probably a bit better of a decision maker than Green. And that also is like at eight or nine months younger. Um, that That's the big thing with Kaminga is it was Springer who was the youngest in the class. If you're not, counting internationals um but now it's Kamega by like a couple weeks younger than Springer but um 
Yeah, I, I would go Kaminga in this sense, but I, I think they're fairly close. Do you have them both yeah. tier two? I probably have Kaminga tier two and maybe Green tier three. Green's like right on the edge of that two to three. I can kind of make cases for both. Yeah, so I mean, to get into the specifics of Green a little bit, do you, do you want to give a, a brief overview? I know you you mentioned that you think Kuminga is a little bit superior as a, as a decision maker, but they are pretty stylistically different players. Uh, so do you want to give uh, a quick quick synopsis of uh, of Green's game? Yeah, so Green, um, the first thing that jumps off the page is just he has like truly elite explosive athleticism um, when he's when he's using it. Uh, the issue is that he settles a lot on the perimeter instead of, I mean, he, his rim gravity, like he's not as, not nearly as big as Anthony Edwards, but he has that same type of uh, one foot explosion as in like full speed and traffic. Like he's an unbelievable riser. Um, and then I, I do think his shot making took a pretty big step forward uh, during the high school year. I don't, know if it might have just been a hot streak during a little bit but like watching him at chick-fil-a there was a few halves where he made like four to six threes um in a single half and like really 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 tough high level shots uh and i i think he's starting to see first reads a little better than he used to but it's still definitely a worry with him um it, it's hard to project him as like a le- the lead guard that some do just because he's probably never going to be that level facilitator to be that high usage as a lead guy. Yeah, you brought up uh, Anthony Edwards, and I do think that there are a lot, a fair amount of uh, stylistic similarities between Green and Edwards, especially in their flaws uh, in terms of just approach and decision-making. Uh, and so, like, who do you think was a was a better – AU player between the two of them, and Edwards did play um, Under Armour while uh, while Green played EYBL. But uh, I mean, do you do you feel strongly that one was was superior to the other? It's tough because Green had a really really impressive uh, roster around him, like Mark Burnett and Devin Askew, and then even um, even guys like. Uh, Sorry, like Taron Frank and uh, Addison Patterson, who's at Oregon now. Like, he had a really good roster around him, so he had a lot more one-on-one opportunities and, like, quick decisions that Edwards didn't really have available for him on his team. But Green Green was, like, scoring-wise really impressive and really uh, efficient in EYBL. But um, it's kind of a cop-out, but it's hard to compare them just because, like, Green, Green was pretty even, like – usage with some of his other teammates and just had a lot he had a, the game a lot easier for him than Ant did do you, do you want to no, are you willing really to go question. to go um out on a limb and say that you preferred one pre-college or I not pre-college I guess but off the AAU at high school sample to the other I mean I, I view them pretty similarly I, I don't know how you feel Ben but uh but um Ross do you have like a strong take on uh, between the two of them overall I think that I would actually lean green, which probably is um, not the consensus answer. Uh, but I, I do think the shooting upside is what I'm really interested with. And I do think that there's a little bit more 
um, willingness from him to play off ball than some might think. Um, but it's really close. Like, I, I could be convinced going in, but I would probably lean green personally. Yeah, I think I'd lean green as well um, for the same reason. I Like like Ross said, his the, the shot making in high school was really impressive. You know, his mechanics are really, really clean. His, his balance is great. Um, smooths off the balance. Um, yeah, I mean, just sharing similar issues, with, you know, and similar frustrations because both of them so overwhelming, attacking the rim with their burst and their explosion. And like I said, like, I think they're like, they're also very similar passers and very similar decision makers where I think Green might be a hair better than than Edwards at the same stage, but... I think Green um, also is on a more, like, clear positive trajectory yeah yeah i mean green like ross said i, I mean green still has a ways to go on i mean he, he definitely show, has games where he's really impressive as you know you know has some like pick and roll moments that are kind of wild for him compared to where he was you know last summer and before but he still misses a lot of reads his processor is still really slow um and that's analogous to ant in a lot of ways um where like he has the gravity that his passes are going to be easier than a lot of guys but he's still just not able to execute the, the correct passes, you know, the, the correct type of pass, make the read at the right time. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and then defensively, I think they're also kind of similar just in overall effort levels and in tools. But yeah, I mean, like, I'd probably take green, but I mean, I wouldn't argue either way. I'd have them in the same tier. Yeah, I think I kind of lean Ant by like a touch. Uh, but yeah, same tier. They're, they're pretty similar prospects to me. And that kind of highlights the difference between these two classes that – for me, Ant is number one, I think, at least for, for most people, is like a tier one type guy, uh, whereas Green is is more in that five to eight range or whatever for me next year, uh, yeah. despite being arguably a better prospect. Uh, yeah, next year's class is, is really good. Um, but obviously the, the thing we've gotten at with Green is that his decision-making is not good. Kuminga, while I think for, for like a wing scorer at that age, it's maybe not terrible, but it's not like in the grand scheme of things spectacular. So Ross, how do you feel about the decision makers that have been assembled on this G League select team? <laughs> not good. <laughs> um, they really, really desperately need a point guard that's willing to be the most patient man on the world. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I Nick's I don't know if you guys want to start on next yet, but um, just overall from the team standpoint, it's a lot of questionable at best decision makers. Um, obviously, maybe a couple of these guys at this age on the growth curve could take considerable steps forward and maybe improve and be fine next year. But uh, it's definitely a worry um, on that team. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can transition into Knicks for sure. I think he's a bit more of a of an unknown commodity for, for a lot of people. So do you want to give a, a quick breakdown of him as well? Yeah, Knicks, um, really, really big point guard, like 6'4", maybe close to 6'5", and is just super, super wide frame and thick. Um, and he has some occasional passes that are just like jaw-dropping passes. Uh, but the decision-making, in my opinion – comes and goes uh he's more of like a home run type passer which if he's able to kind of reel that in which at this age you know it's a possibility um it'll definitely be a huge plus for him but I do worry about the lows of his passing and decision making 
tends to force up a lot. Um, and then the, the main issue with him is just whether or not he's ever going to be, like, respectable as a shooter. I think he's okay right now, uh, but he's definitely somebody that I'm willing to kind of not completely ignore, but, like, sag off of a decent bit because the release, too, is a little slower, so you have a little more time to contest as a defender. Um, but he, he really, really – I do like his fit with Green to a certain extent because he really likes to run. He really likes to play in transition. He likes to find people on the wing. He likes to find cutters. So I think that there is some upside for that team to run with some of the athletes they have and then Nix's willingness to look for and pass in transition. Um, but I, I'm also on the lower end of Knicks. Uh I know Ben has watched him probably as much as I have, and uh, maybe it's a little higher than me. Yeah, I've lowered as I watched a little more. Um, but I probably, I mean, I, I don't know, probably have him like, I, I, you know, I'm not set on anything, but like late 20s kind of range. Um, I, I think it's worth reiterating like like that he is really huge and he is like really good finisher with, with, you know, with that size, not super bursty or, or explosive at the rim, which is going to limit him there. But, you know, besides just being able to go through guys, he, he's really crafty and technical around the rim. He, I think he uses his body to shield and he's really crafty with like scoop finishes and, and, and you know, shielding, shielding the ball away with his frame and using footwork and strength to to get the ball over and through guys but yeah i mean the shot is the real question and i mean i i, I do agree with, with with the transition fit but you know i'm worried to see um nick's playing a lot off the ball um next to green and kuminga i mean i mean it, like we've talked about in the past there's probably not going to be a lot of times where all five of these prospects play together or even all three of them i'm sure like they're going to stagger with veterans is the idea. But again, like Nick's playing off the ball next to, to Green and Kaminga, uh, I worry about how much value he can bring there because, you know, he's like a majority on-ball guy with, with Trinity International. We don't have any sample of him really playing UIBL or FIBA in, in a different sample or in a different system with, with different players or with different talent. But I mean, I mean again, there's some maybe a world we can be used as like a cutter you know, with that, with that impressive frame and, you know, you know, the, the, the decision-making is rough on the ball, maybe off the ball is undeniably excellent vision and, you know, technical craft as a passer could be weaponized there. But yeah, I think the off ball fits a little worrying. I mean, I'm like, I mean, he's like a, a pretty good defender. Like I said, just really big and smart, but and again, I, I'm for a lot of those reasons, I, I like him more as a long-term prospect, but yeah, I, I, I do have my worries with him uh, on this G league team. Yeah, the mentioning the long term thing I think is relevant because uh, I'm before he had even uh, backed off of his commitment to UCLA. I, I think the three of us had all talked about this that he very well may have been a multi year guy. Uh, so I guess Ben, you're you're still maybe a little bit more optimistic on on Knicks than Ross and just more informed than I am. Do you think he would have been able to score as a freshman in the Pac-12? Um I think probably um not it's complicated. Um I lean like like yes, but that's a very big question mark. Yes. Um cuz again like he really is big and I trust I trust him a lot as a slasher. Yeah, he has the THT build. It's yeah, he's, yeah. he's weird. Yeah, he is a weird frame, and I trust him a lot as a slasher. 
Um, but again, I mean, if he, I mean, if he really can't shoot, and like, I mean, with UCLA, I, I mean, I, I mean, he could could have seen him playing quite a bit of off ball. I mean, especially if Chris Smith returns, um, which I'm not sure if he will, um, with Tiger Campbell as as a, next to him. So I, I mean, if he's forced to hit spot ups and things like that, and he can't, then probably not. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. That's a tough question, but I mean, again. I, I think he'd be able to get to the rim. He'd probably be like a pretty good free throw rate guy. Again, I, I, I the shot is the, the big question there. So a bit Ross, of a cop, but Ross, do you think he would have uh, been able to score in the Pac-12? Um, I lean towards no. Uh, I will note the one thing with him is he's not terribly long. Um, he's only like plus one or so, I think, and. That coupled with the, you know, he, he's a decent athlete uh, vertically, but definitely not great. Um, and I do wonder if, like, I'm a little higher on Tiger Campbell, not as a pro guy, but as a college guy. Um, and I think Tiger, Tiger Campbell's going to be a really good college point guard. And I do wonder if Knicks would have even been able to have the ball a ton in his hands next year. Obviously, like, Cronin's bringing the five star, he's going to give him the ball, but I do think that. Tiger would kind of be forced to run a decent bit of the offense just because he's such like a smart point guard. Um, but I, I kind of question. I, I personally would not have had Knicks as a warrant done. Yeah, I think that makes some sense. From what I've seen, I would have pretty significant concerns about him in the short term. Would probably be more interested in him than Ross is or seems to be long term just because of how high the or how ridiculous the passing flashes are um but yeah i i mean he's a guy that that yeah i think there was justified skepticism about him uh in the short term and now he's put into the ultimate short term uh developmental situation it's pretty weird um should should we briefly go over now Isaiah Todd and Kai Soto who are much less heralded prospects than um the main three. Ross, do you want to you want to give brief uh, overviews of those two guys? Yeah, so Todd, um, I think Todd kind of had a chance to be like this year's Cleo Whitney or next year's Cleo Whitney, um, just in terms of somebody that college recruiters and like RSTI guys were much higher on than like, like DX, they came out with their first 2021 mock and Todd was like late late second on that and he's you know like a top 12 in RSCI so there's a pretty big uh difference between how he's viewed amongst groups um but he's you know he's a decently skilled like 610 power forward um the shooting probably is a little overrated just because he's such a willing shooter but he's like a career like mid 60s uh, free throw shooter and like doesn't have particularly great touch or form. I mean, it's it's all like okay. I think he probably projects to be an okay shooter for the four, but um, nothing special. And just like as the decision maker, it's really really rough. Um, takes a lot of really bad shots. Uh, not much of a passer at all. Gets himself into like double teams and turns it over a lot. Um, and then defensively, it just it's pretty rough there too um but i mean if, if you want to look at the positives as just like a floor spacing for there could be some underlying upside there if he's willing to accept that role 
Yeah, yeah. that's and yeah. that's very much not what he did no. in in uh, high school and AAU. He he was a guy who liked to take a lot of shots and liked to take a lot of bad shots and missed a lot of shots. Yeah, yeah I'm um, definitely you know, so, interested to see how he functions in you know a very minimized role because I mean even next to Scotty Barnes, you know, he jacked more shots than he should have. Um, and now he's got Kaminga and Green and Nick's next to him. So Soto, yeah. um, Soto is just really, really big, like seven, somewhere between seven one and seven two, uh, like a plus two or three wingspan. He's probably got like a close to like nine three or nine four standing reach, I would guess. Um, and he's pretty skilled. Uh, he has a little bit of, like he can't break guys off of the handle but you know you can handle a little bit under pressure against other bigs has a pretty decent shooting projection good touch like around the bucket has pretty solid post moves the issue with him is um just physically like he gets pushed around really easily he's extremely extremely slow um just a pretty pretty below average athlete um but he does have some skill uh personally i don't really see him playing much for this team at all unless like they do just go all in on letting the young guys kind of like live and learn but um definitely would have him as the worst prospect out of this group yeah i've never even watched him play all i've seen are clips of him moving and they're pretty frightening um <laughs> but yeah i mean, so do do you view him as at all a real prospect really Nah, not really, unless, like, there's potential, like, unless he just becomes, like, a truly knockdown shooter for a five, because he, he's big and long, and he has some okay rim protection instincts, but um, I it, it's a long shot for him to be, like, an NBA guy. Yeah, that was kind of the sense that I got. Um, yeah. So, now that we've we've gone over the, um, you know, who's already in place on this, on this roster, um... We should probably talk about what it's going to be like uh, developmentally. And I think that that presents some really interesting questions on account of the fact that this is an entirely new developmental context. Uh, It's definitely worth addressing at the top that there is, I would say, probably pretty real potential for no G League season, right? Like, if you think about things that are going to uh, be trimmed by the uh by the nba when trying to shed some fat uh you know during a a season in which almost definitely there will be no fans in which we might see a smaller number of games uh who knows what will happen with this season in terms of the playoffs actually happening so i mean i definitely wouldn't be surprised to see the g league not happen next year it's not a money maker for the league uh while teams i think do like seem to recognize the developmental value of it uh you know you can only i think you can only value that so much when you're looking at actual like financial turmoil uh that that i think the nba is not really used to um so yeah that i mean that's the first thing that that this g league season might not happen and these guys might not play at all uh which is kind of kind of weird to think but um i i think that assuming that it does happen it's the the structure is like inherently weird because they're only uh they're only slated i think to play 12 exhibition games they're like they're not even real games um so that's not a lot of reps for these guys 
so like what else do you guys think they're going to be doing to develop like how how worried are you guys about this context in which these guys for a year are going to play 12 games there is no shortage of action going on with our partners over at betonline.ag. The sports world is slowly making its way back with the NBA announcing its return in late July. But right now, UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and international soccer have all resumed play, and BetOnline has the best odds slash lines for their best upcoming games and matches. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening live every day for our devout gamblers to check out. BetOnline also offers hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag on your computer or mobile device and join now to receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online wagering experts. Oh no! Those are the screams I used to make when I would cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you Manscaped for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Men, start taking notes because Manscaped accidents are finally a thing of the past. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 has been beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. This is their third generation trimmer, featuring advanced skin safe technology so you keep your bad boys nice and smooth. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The water resistant technology allows you to shave in the shower too. One of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for closer and and more precise trimming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. Your balls will thank you. I mean, I think there's definitely some, some word. I mean, I mean, 12 games isn't a lot, but again, like it's like, it's not like a detrimentally bad sample. I mean, you talk about, I mean, LaMelo, um, I mean, this yeah, LaMelo and RJ, they, yeah. they both played, like around that number of games due to injury. And Wiseman played three. And yeah, Wiseman played three. Garland last year played four or five. This is, I mean, this is far from unheard of, and it's far from a death sentence for like a lot of these prospects. So, I mean, on that hand, you know, you know, there's definitely, and especially when you consider, you know, fairly good competition, they're going to be playing these exhibitions games. I mean, probably comparable to, probably better comparable to high level NCAA competition, but. Um, definitely better than a lot of the, the, the teams they would play in college. But yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about on this podcast about how important rep, just game reps are for developing, you know, things like feel, not even just developing feel and like passing ability, but just, you know, for improving as a player and, you know, um, getting to learn you know, the structure of basketball and you know, keep, keep improving against high level competition. So, you know, that's definitely going to be rough. And especially if there's like cancellations, especially if this, this 12 or 13 games schedule is shrunk even further i just like the questions like what do they do for i mean what do they do in practices what are their kind of like individual development contexts are, are they going to have because i mean it, I, it's just really like it's a lot of unknowns about how this team is going to function in terms of i mean it's definitely not going to be functioning like a normal like g league team because the aim you know is not to win win titles or even develop like two-way players you know it's the the, the purposes for the development of of these prospects um so there's probably gonna be some sort of like developmental piece outside of games instituted i'm sure there will be i i can't speak to what that would look like uh, but i mean i'm sure that's something they'll, they'll have to consider um especially if there's cancellations do you guys know if if there's been any word on uh what's going to happen with the coaching staff um 
because I mean that's obviously a huge a huge portion of that will be not not just you know whoever the head coach is but building out uh, an entire developmental staff or I mean even just like the investment that they're going to have to put into into physio for this team like I don't know think about someone like I mean ignoring even even Soto uh, thinking about Jalen Green even that's a guy who's who's you know needs to add mass and while I don't think high-level NCAA programs are all, you know, brilliant uh, from a physio uh, standpoint. Like, so, I mean, some programs certainly are. Like, I would feel pretty good about um, about Jalen Green if you were going to, like, Texas I don't know, Tech. Texas Tech or Houston or something like that. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, I would think that they're going to have to put massive investments into those elements of, of this team uh, because – like otherwise uh this is this is going to be a pretty suboptimal situation for these for these young prospects well um they they did announce the head coach uh and it's brian shaw oh okay yeah so um but i haven't seen anything past him um so that is obviously leaves some curiousness but yeah i mean they're just going to need to put a lot of effort into player development and it'll be interesting to see like who they choose from because um, I don't know like it, obviously these coaches have to have like some comfortableness with being patient and like dealing with younger guys um, so it, it'll definitely be interesting yeah I mean it's an entirely different coaching job it, it where yeah. it's like you're entirely eschewing the Winning. I mean the traditional job, yeah, the traditional job of a coach, and focusing pretty much solely on player development. It's really weird. Yeah, um, yeah I guess like thinking on the court, uh, what are the sorts of things you guys want to see added to these ro- to this roster in terms of of players? I know Ross, you'd mentioned like a a very patient pass first guard. Um, are there any are there any sort of any other archetypes that we think that these guys really need to be surrounded with or, or they would just benefit a lot from? Yeah. I mean, I think um, one thing, I mean, one thing, one thing they benefit is like just some kind of rim runner type. Um, Cause they, that's not something that really any, any of the prospects are. I mean, in, in theory, Todd could like has the physical profile, you know, to, to evolve into that, but that's very much not what he is at all. Um, and then, of course, Soto is not that. I mean, that that's just a big aid for, for the development, for most mostly of, of Kaminga and Green as passers. Because you know, Kaminga uh, nor Green, I mean, I mean, have really played with like prolific rim runners um, at, at, for extensive periods of time. I think, like like I said, Kaminga's shown some flashes, you know, especially in EYBL of being able to hit the roller either over top or you know some some pocket pass type passes, nothing crazy advanced. But again, just, just just having guys who are, you know, impressive lob threats, have catch radius um to to make those plays easier for them is gonna be big for the development of those guys as passers. Um yeah, I mean like Ross said, just a, a really good like decision making, like linking kind of guard. Like like, yeah, like I, I was thinking that like this team could really use Hallie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they they really need a guy who can just you know make good decisions and move the ball. 
Um, maybe Knicks can like kind of morph into that player in, in a more off-ball role because like he has the passing chops, and maybe if he's asked to you know score less on the ball, his decision making can improve. But I mean, they really do need one of those guys badly. So. Yeah, I think the the like lob threat is a good point, but the problem with that kind of is that guys who are really good lob threats are pretty desirable, and I would think yeah. that the guys who are attracted to playing for this team will be <clears throat> players who are interested in um in coaching the future, so that they're like on their last legs as players, or uh I guess are I guess it could be some some other late career guys trying to trying to rehab their their uh perception but i i do think that like lob threats given how dependent they are on athleticism like there there might not be any guys who are looking for what this team would offer uh who can bring that skill set which is definitely a little concerning in terms of trying to find that um uh ross do you have any any other like types of players you'd want to see uh added to this roster to help bring out the best in green kuminga and nicks just like high level IQ, and then like obviously they're gonna need shooters because um, a lot of these guys are questionable shooters. I've seen one name floating around a decent a bit um, on the timeline. I've just saw it on Twitter a few times because uh, he played G League last year. But I think maybe like Jared Jack would be an interesting yeah. point uh-huh. guard ad for this team. And then like somebody like I, I think they should maybe go after some kids that have played at big schools like maybe like Marquise Bolden as a center who like is used to having like um very high usage like players that are centered around um him and like development wise uh so just guys that have I feel like this is almost as much about just like as a person aspect compared to like as a basketball player aspect cause they're like you're gonna need a lot of patience and like it's definitely a different scenario to play with is like an older guy with these younger guys. So it'll be interesting, like, to see who they go after. Like, David Stockton might be another name. Um, is Andre Andre Ingram probably yeah, I was... could be contacted. Like, it'll be interesting to see if they go more for off-the-court, like, characters as much as they do on-court, like, players. Yeah, it's a tough balance to yeah. strike, though, because, like, you don't want to bring in, say, Jamal Crawford, who's, like – you know, universally known as an amazing guy who has taken on a, a mentor role for, for I think, lots of players, especially from the Seattle area. But on the court, uh, that is pretty much the last thing you would want alongside Green and Kuminga. Uh, so you have to be really careful. It's just going to be – it's going to be difficult to find guys who are yeah. going to want to step in to this very weird role and – are the the character guys that you want that's why i kind of think that it's going to be it's going to be mostly targeting guys who want who are want a basically a position transitioning from player to coach uh mm-hmm. i think that makes a yeah. lot of sense but yeah. yeah it's 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 going to be pretty miserable trying to fill out this roster and which is really very difficult and something that that um wh- whoever is building this roster is going to have to be very intentional and very careful about the guys they bring in yeah, I think a lot of these guys oh, go Ross. Sorry, I was gonna say like especially with the likelihood that you know these like eighteen year old kids could be making like four to five times as much money as the next person they're playing with. Yeah, I think you know a lot of these guys could be like 
looking for like G League veterans, like guys who have been in the G League for a long time, like that haven't played any minutes, like guys like Andre Ingham, like like Ross mentioned, you know, or a guy like Reggie Hearn, who's like a ten-year G League vet and a career forty percent three-point shooter. Um, you know, just guys like that who are like used to playing down there for like 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 big name veterans are like probably not it like Jamal Crawford or, or like I mean like Michael Beasley's recently cut. I mean, I, I don't think they're gonna be willing to like take a back seat to these kids. Um, maybe they will, but I, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I think like looking at a lot of these like longtime G League vets or maybe looking for like Americans in like lower level overseas leagues. Um, could be an option. Yeah, it, it's like like it's it's a very specific like not even type of player, but just type of person you have to find who's like really gonna like kind of like an altruistic sense. I mean, obviously not completely altruistic because there's motives like Max at getting a coaching job. I mean, I mean this is very much not gonna be a context for for guys to impress in the sense that they're gonna you know like dominate the select team and get an NBA contract or a two-way like that's not what yeah but I, I think it could be a situation where you can prove that you're a you know very competent leaky player and just like great yeah. great locker room presence so I do wonder if there may be some guys who haven't totally cracked the NBA yet who maybe have been on a two-way or been been on a G League team and and maybe gotten some interest maybe been on a 10-day but have never really stuck in the NBA. I feel like this could be a place with a lot of eyes on you that you could prove that you fit in as a cog because you don't like none of these guys who who are joining this team to play alongside these star prospects. None of these guys are star NBA players. Anyone who's playing in a complimentary role alongside Kuminga, Green, Knicks is going to be someone who is vying for a small complimentary role in the NBA anyway. So proving that you can fit into that, I do think has some appeal for maybe fringe NBA guys. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really like small niche of guys that you're trying to attract to these roles, I think. Uh, and on top of that, you, know, you need very specific people to fill them. Uh, so it's it's tough. Building this team is going to be really hard. Yeah. I mean, they I'm... should... Um... And who knows, like, some of these guys might end up being on, like, two ways. But guys like Matt Mooney or, like, Kyle Guy or, like, Nigel Williams-Goss, there's there's some players that could do that, but it's just so hard to predict who would be willing to do that. Because, I mean, it's it, – it, I'm sure it would take a toll on you doing that. Yeah, and, like, even a lot of those guys, like, I mean, like, Mooney, Goss, I mean, like, a lot of those guys can get, like, pretty solid overseas deals. Um, I know, like, Goss right. was rumored to, you know, play at Maccabi. Um, and like I know Moody and Guy, I'm sure have drawn could could draw interest, you know, from from pretty good pro leagues. So the question is, like, I mean, I guess if these guys like really want to stay, you know, in America, this is an option. Um, but I mean, like, I mean, I think for a lot of guys, it's like being like more like a dominant player in a good overseas league is probably a better option than you know playing on this G League team. Or I mean, I mean, I guess like if you're trying to be like very comp like show a complimentary role. But again, I mean, playing in a complimentary role with, you know, these these 18-year-olds is a lot different than playing in a complimentary role with good NBA players. I mean, it's it's similar, you know, functionally, but, you know, the, the level of, of goodness needed to succeed there is a lot different. So again, just reiterating the, the skepticism around, like, the quality of player they're actually going to find to compliment these guys. And it's really, you know, kind of a shame, and it's, and it's scary because, you know, these players, like, especially with, with the prospects they've chosen because, you know, 
they they haven't exactly chosen a diverse pool of, of like skill sets and IQ levels um, in, with these prospects. And I mean that that just necessitates all the more having guys with different skills in in, in the veteran camp, which um, they're going to have to find. So. I I do yeah, think I'm... though that that that's kind of a case to like uh, for getting these guys who, like Ross mentioned, have, have just come off playing alongside very high-usage college stars because they're already familiar with playing in complementary roles off of star young players. Like, the, I mean, Mooney and Guy examples, those guys are bo- both played off of top six picks, uh, and, they, and they still have an NBA dream alive. Like, they're not yet entrenched in Europe. Like, you're not getting – I'm sure, like, someone will suggest it at some point, but you're not getting Shane Larkin to play on this G League team. Like, he's not turning down the <laughs> amount of money that he's getting – the stardom, the expenses being covered, like you're not, he's not turning that down to go play in the G League. But a guy like I'm maybe maybe Kyle Guy, who's still dreaming of making the NBA and and has familiarity fitting into a complementary role, and I think would actually you know make some sense, would at least bring some shooting to this team. That I think is the type of guy that you could maybe attract. Then again, like there is a limit to how many, because I mean in the grand scheme of things, someone like Kyle Guy is still pretty young. Uh, and you are talking about playing, even if it's a modified exhibition G League schedule, a G League schedule against like fully formed, uh, like fully formed men. Uh, so I don't know how many like twenty four year olds necessarily you want, but uh, no. yeah, it, it's it's tough. Should go snatch like Mike Dom and Fletcher McGee from that one <laughs> Italian league team. <laughs> they're they're too entrenched there already, though. You got to get the yeah. guys that are that are still floating around uh, in the G League. Yeah, it it definitely has potential to be a very bad team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of worry. I, I have a lot of worries about, you know, if that team because I, I mean, of course, winning games, you know, it's not the objective, and like like right. they're, they're not building the win, but like 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 if these team like if this team is getting blown out night after night, like that's also not great for development either. So yeah, well, like when I when it was initially Green to start and I Todd with him. But when it was just the two of them, and really it was Green as the star of the show, I thought, okay, this this could be really good. Like he is he is a good guy to do this with, given his play style, given his personality. This makes a lot of sense. And then they added Knicks, and it was a little concerning that they're adding this like pretty ball dominant player who can't really shoot and just really isn't much of a threat to score, uh, and is not the most reliable decision maker. And then they add Kuminga, who is maybe an even better on-ball player than either of those guys and also isn't like some high-level playmaker for others. And it's just like, okay, they're stacking a lot of talent, but it's pretty ill-fitting. Uh, and that's that's a pretty, pretty big concern for, for all of these guys. I mean, for the success of the team and then just for the developmental success of, I mean, primarily Kuminga and Green. It's a shame they couldn't snag like Moses Moody or somebody to, or like a really good shooter, like you know, like a good shooting prospect to play. Um, and I wonder, like going forward, like how much emphasis. I mean, and this is kind of goes back to like a different topic, like a topic we talked about earlier. It's just like improving like low level scouting because I mean, like, like we've talked about for the last like forty minutes or so, like this, like the fit of this team, like the fit of this team of top prospects is is important and like getting like 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 not just you know 
offering this spot to like every single top 20 RSCI guy, but actually like like understanding like the players you want to target. And then once you get, you know, a player like Jalen Green, you know, that's that's your big time on ball guy. You, you go for you go for maybe smaller role guys who fit next to them, like like shooters or or you know, rim runners or things like that. So I just I wonder, you know. I, I doubt they they're ever going to put like a serious emphasis on you know scouting for these teams that are just offering like big names. Um, I mean, but that would be you know a, a big a, a big thing for them if if that was you know ever implemented. Yeah, but it, it does. It's a point that gets at something that is not entirely clear to me, which is what is the goal with this team? Is it to roster the highest number of high level recruits, or is it to cultivate? one because at first it seemed kind of like it was to cultivate green and i think that makes a lot of sense and now that doesn't seem like that's the point at all it's just building essentially an all-star roster of guys and that's just going to be bad for everyone um and we can either we can get into it now or we can or we can talk about that idea a little bit more but something that that i think i'd seen mentioned that does make a lot of sense maybe not for this year but going forward is having multiple of these teams where you could have a green team and a kuminga team but you wouldn't have them on the same team because that's it's just not beneficial to either of them. Yeah, I was about to mention that that I I mean I'd heard some people floating around that idea. Um, yeah, again, I don't think it's an idea for this year. But yeah, I, I mean that just seems like like a universally beneficial idea, especially for like ball dominant stars like like Green and Kaminga. You know, just to have a more ideal fit and you know be able to like have their own spotlights and you know match up against each other i mean that's that, that's not only good for their own development you know it's good for revenue and you know, it's good it's good for the league good for eyes in the league so yeah i think that's definitely a direction that they could and probably should go in the future could you imagine if um when the oklahoma state uh postseason ban came down if Cade had decided to go to the G League, because I think that that was, I, I, it was probably never that likely, but it was at least a scenario that crossed people's minds. And that would have been really weird because I assume the Kuminga thing would have happened no matter what. But then you would have Cade, Jalen Green, and Kuminga, in addition to Todd and Soto and Knicks. Like, not only could all those guys not be on the court, like, they literally could not all be on the court together, but I mean, you'd have Green reduced to like what he did in FIBA. And Jalen Green in FIBA was a very different player when he was playing alongside the rest of the of the best players in high school basketball. And that's it's just not it's not good for anyone. Um, it, it like gets back to the idea of what we were talking about uh, last week with PD about how all, like all these guys going to Duke and are they really going to be put in a position where they can maximize themselves? I don't think that the answer is could possibly be yes. So I, I just don't understand how you could keep stacking for what what is, I guess, like assumed to be talent on this G League select team uh, the way that they have so far because it, it just doesn't seem like it's good for anyone. It's, it's weird. And I, like you talked about um, with your discussion with PD last week or two weeks ago, whenever that was, but um, it's like, I'm, I'm, I agree with all that. Like I'm a pretty big believer in more on ball game reps. You see at a younger age, the higher level, like the higher your ceiling is, is like being able to adapt to certain things, being able to learn like a higher basketball IQ, better development. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a question to ask if, like you guys said, if this is the best case scenario for these guys, um, 
Because, like, I mean, we've seen, I think, like, we've seen it in the past with, like, guys like Ja, who was just put in a huge usage role um, and was able to, like, learn things and just develop really well. Um, and then there's guys like, for example, like Caleb Murphy going to South Florida next year, who's a top, like, 75 RCI guy who wanted to go get more on ball reps. Like, there's definitely a lot of different paths um, and it's not 100% sure which one is the best, but we're definitely definitely going to learn some things for uh, scouting-wise through this G League stuff. Yeah. It would have been nice if they could have snagged someone like Jabri Abdul-Rahim, I mean, get like a tall shooter that, you know, I know that was rumored, that would have been a good get. Even someone like like Greg Brown is like an off-ball like lob threat, but still, yeah, I mean, like, like Ross said, it's going to be fascinating actually like sitting down to watch these games, you know, trying to take away so much information from – so, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, you know, a small sample of games, because I mean, you know, f- for, you know, I-, I know the three of us and, you know, a-, a lot of people who are really into the weeds of this, you know, for, for at least the top prospects will watch you know, a-, a-, a majority of their games, you know, the majority of the Anthony Edwards games, probably all of the LaMelo ball games this year, just because of the sample. And, you know, I- I- that's a lot of games cut down for, for Kaminga and Green and even Knicks and these guys. So it's going to be it's going to be taxing for, you know, not, not just, you know, amateur scouts on Twitter, but like actual evaluators who are, who are trying to make judgments based off of not only this sample, but, you know, they're going to have to put a lot of weight into prior samples as well. So, Not to mention just being on such a loaded team uh, where none of them are necessarily the singular focus. Like those guys who play 12 games, you get 12 games of them being pretty central. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe not so much for RJ. But certainly in the limited samples of Garland and Wiseman and, and uh, Lamella, like they were pretty central in those limited samples. But that might not be the case. Like, and say, say there's, there's, you know, some minor injury. And they, if you have like 10 games of Jonathan Kuminga playing like 22 minutes a game, that is a pretty limited sample. The worry um, kind of too is like, does it turn into like a my turn, you turn type of uh, yeah atmosphere? Which yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I think more than like more than because uh, player development. Yes, I, I'm very interested to see what they do in terms of offensive coaching. Because I mean, like, are they gonna find like smart coaches to actually can still schemes or like I mean, like Ross said, like I think this could very easily turn into Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga playing your turn, my turn. Like just 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 taking turns, taking shots. And that's not very good for anybody. I mean, not the team success. I mean, it's not ideal for the prospects themselves. So that's that's just one more consideration, you know, in finding coaches, not only player development guys, but you know, guys who can in- implement a system that's conducive to you know not getting destroyed and to also but to also helping these guys in the court. There's a lot of potential for the on-court product to be very ugly. Um, do you, do you guys think that uh like on the more on the team side and I guess like the big uh media scouting like draft express side do you think that uh intel will be more or less readily available because people who who are in that you know if that's people who do intel collection have uh you know ins all over the place but this is going to be very much in-house to the NBA so is this going to result in like widespread everyone knows uh in kind of disturbing detail the ins and outs of Jonathan Kuminga's personality or is it going to be 
maybe a more manufactured look where the NBA has more control over it and can sort of package these kids how they want in an effort to um, uh, promote them as much as possible. Because and there's no denying the NBA is now heavily, heavily invested in Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga primarily. Like those guys, I, I think it's, you know, conceivable at the very least that they could be the second and third picks. And honestly, wouldn't surprise me to see either of them go one or two, uh, given what we've seen in recent years. So, I mean, do, what do you guys think? How much do you think the NBA will exert itself here in to like sort of craft how these guys are perceived as prospects? I mean, I feel like it must do like like, like it must take as, as much effort as it can to, you know, paint them in as positive a light as possible. Because, I mean, like I said, like college, like we talked about, like like college teams, like in college coaching have multiple priorities. It, it's not just about developing these prospects. College coaches want to win and, you know, and then, you know, further their program. It, it, it's not as like single as like single facet. It's not as single faceted, I guess, as as this. And and with, that's where maybe college coaches be more, like more willing to talk about, you know, flaws of these players. Because they care about, you know, their, their team winning, and they care about other things than the well-being of their players. Obviously, they care about the success of their players, and they care about the future of their players, but not as much as the NBA does, who literally have like hundreds of thousands, and millions of dollars invested into the future of these players. So, I mean, I would, I mean, I, again, like it's impossible to know, but I, I'd kind of be surprised if we learn much like dirt about their personalities or really like the NBA is. I think is going to do what they can to, you know, keep a positive eye on these guys. And I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to, to, to see how much teams like can learn about these, these players and how much the NBA is maybe going to like try to hide from scouting departments in order to prop up their own their own prospects. I mean, it could get kind of like kind of shady and not good. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it <laughs> could. It, yeah, uh, it, it's the podcast. Max. And then but the flip so. side of that is that you don't want you don't want to like bully a team into taking Jalen Green number one overall. And then <laughs> Cade, as he will be, is way better and the whole thing looks kind of silly like you don't that's a that's a bad look for the league simultaneously i I don't know it's a really it's a really weird um i don't want to say conflict of interest but it's a weird situation at at the very least it's a weird situation all right so i think we're ready to to outro part one of this yeah yeah uh, ben, ben is now incapable of speaking because he's laughing. We're outroing part one after we just <laughs> outroed part two because we didn't know if this was going to be a one or two parter. We're still we're still figuring out the whole one two part dance, uh, but we kind of mangled it on this one. So yeah. this is the outro to part one. Um, I will we'll be we'll be back in your feeds in a couple of days. Uh, I know I'm I'll still do. Uh, review bribes so five star apple podcast review dm me a screenshot i will send you one synergy profile full thing to your email uh so yeah i'm still offering those bribes yeah. i also will bribe send me uh your five star review screenshot i'll send you uh one game notes uh raw notes for any player of your choice um in, in any class assuming i have them so yeah uh more bribes send those reviews please uh, so yeah, with that, we're going to outro it. Thank you so much, Ross, uh, for coming on. Um, you can follow him on yeah. Twitter at Ross underscore Homan1. Um, you can follow the pod at prep number two pro pod. 
follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. Follow Max at Max A. Carlin. And unless anybody has anything to say, uh, we're going to outro it. All right. Uh, thank you all for listening and have a great day.